Welcome! I'm Roxanne Spring, your personal midwife after hours, celebrating and promoting wisdom and power in pregnancy, birth, and beyond. episode, we get to talk with Barbara Decker. And Barb, who we have heard in the last episode, is a prenatal bonding facilitator. She's one of 12 here in the United States. In addition, she's been a, a master hypnobirthing practitioner and a childbirth educator for almost 50 years, and a doula with Kappa and a graduate of the APA PPNE program, which is one that focuses on that preconception and pregnancy time for prenatal and perinatal psychology. She is passionate, as you will soon hear, about the need to teach parents about pre and perinatal psychology. Barbara Decker, I am so excited to have this time with you today. Welcome to Midwife After Hours. Well, thank you for having me. You and I worked a long time on a project before you went uh, decided to do something as unusual as this. And I think it's a fabulous way to spread the word of the work that we both believe in doing for our families. It is so important for our families to understand what's happening during the gestational period. Um, right. And that you are the expert. And that's exactly why I have you with me here today. And one of the things that I do, because this is midwife after hours, is I start with the question of how has midwifery interplayed with your life? What has been the things that brought you to the birth world, whether it was midwifery or not? How did you come to be a part of this whole birth world specialty? Well, actually, it was my own birth, because um, my first birth was uh, 51 years ago, and uh, there were very few instructors around. And that birth uh, was not pretty at all. Uh, I, was, I had no classes. I had uh, no idea how important breathing and relaxation was to help a mother through their their birthing phase. I had uh, just read the book, Thank You, Dr. Lamaz. That was the new thing on the market. And I said to my doctor um, that um, I, I really wanted to do the Lamaz technique. And he said, oh, honey, this is a first birth. You can't do the Lamaz. It's way too hard. Just trust me. So um, I did trust him. And... Uh, I shouldn't have. <laughs> so because I did not have any tools, uh, I was given a medication that um, where I, I actually had a very negative effect from the medication. And um, it is no longer on the market. For those of you that are listening, they no longer use this medicine anymore. Um, but I know after that birth, they told me that I would not be able to have anything at all not even Novocaine. Uh, I shouldn't have Novocaine at the dentist's office and so forth because I had such a bad reaction. So um, they said, make sure you take classes with the, your next child. And back then it was Lama's class. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I practiced diligently. And when I had my second son, uh, it made the difference between uh, night and day, mm -hmm. um, the birth of that baby having tools to hang on to being relaxed, doing my breathing, and I was on my way to the delivery room going, I hope it's a girl, I hope it's a girl. And it was a boy, but I kept him. <laughs> <laughs> but it, I called my instructor immediately after that birth and said no one should ever go through birth without having some tangible tools to work with um, during during their labor time. So I have to be a childbirth educator, and, and that's 51 well, actually, uh, Peter's three years behind. So uh, I, it was in 71. So it's been, you know, it's been many years um, since I started teaching. And I 
I started out working with Lamaze and um, and then somewhere along the line, I saw an advertisement from Penny Simpkin that she was going to be in Massachusetts and she was doing something called supporting women in labor. And I thought, oh, great, I'm going to learn some wonderful tricks to help my parents to get through their labors. And I went to that course and instead of just learning about tools to help people through labor, I had learned what a doula was. That was one of the first um, initiations to what doula work was. And I had been doing it because we're in the Navy. So I had assisted a lot of moms um, when we were in the Navy because their partners were out at sea. Uh, but with all the positions and everything I learned from Penny, I said, oh, I have to be a doula. And uh, so I did. Um, get my credentials for my doula work, but it was a little hard because I worked in the hospital, in the laboratory, mm. same place that I was doing the birthing with my parents. So I couldn't call them sick. <laughs> <laughs> that would not work so well. <laughs> so it took me a while longer to get my credentials. Uh, and uh, luckily my babies waited till Friday night and then I could do my dual work over the weekend and it worked out just perfect. Um, so that, that was my journey with the doula thing. And then at one of our conferences, one of our conferences, I met Phyllis Klaus and she gave, she gave two lectures on Phyllis is one of the founders of Donut. She gave two lectures on hypnosis for birthing. Mm. And that was it. I was so amazed at the power of hypnosis mm. that I immediately went and I took hypnobirthing training. Mm. Um, and I could see the difference of the families being engaged with what's happening inside rather than what's happening outside. Um, their calmness, the birth, the trust, everything was so totally different once I was exposed to the hypnosis end of things. So that's, that is my favorite, that, that is my favorite uh, method to teach childbirth. Now, I also have to admit, that I am from the East Coast. And so I come from a medical family. So when Penny did this doula training, she said, what's your ideal birth experience? And because I'm a conservative, I come from a medical family. So, oh, in a hospital with a doctor. And um, but the one thing I wanted was a birthing tub. I wanted to be able to birth in that birthing tub. When I moved out, here to the West Coast, one of the first doula cases that I had was a home birth. And that was it. That was that was absolutely what shifted my mind 180 degrees <laughs> to see the beauty of working with the midwives and seeing this baby being birthed and without interventions. Mm. And that was a very powerful experience for me. And that opened the door for me to think, mm, my conservative mind, mm -mm, there is a different way to do things. Mm. So I adore home births, mm. birth center births, home births. Um, I, I was exposed to midwifery and midwifery without any question needs to be used more in this country whether it's hospital work, whether it's birth center work, whether it's a home birth, other nations that have midwives have much better outcomes. And we as a nation need to look at those opportunities um, of changing the way we deliver medicine. Mm -hmm. um, we deliver medicine um, in a medical circumstances with a lot of risk assessment and um, and you have to protect yourselves um, by doing extra testing and so forth. And if it's actually our families that brought us there, it, it really are families because um, they want every baby to be perfect. And we know not everybody it, baby is perfect. And um, if the baby isn't perfect, then you sue. So it's our whole environment 
that really that we're in this position with so many medical interventions. And um, it isn't just, it isn't just that they want to do these inter interventions. They just always have to be on the safe side. And it's more than being on the safe side. Are we actually intruding in what mother nature has us do? 85%, 85% of women would have a baby if somebody sat there and just knitted the baby a hat, just <laughs> knitting it. Um, and the World Health Organization really believes that that's true, that, mm -hmm. um, that we should only be doing interventions, you know, 10, 15, maybe 20%. Uh, but uh, when you look back when I had my births, mm -hmm. the cesarean rate was only 7%, exactly. only 7%, and yet the outcomes have not improved with all the technology that we have. So um, thank goodness the uh, medical world, even ACOG, agrees that a doula should be part of the team, medical team, and uh, support our parents so that they have emotional support as well as the technical support. Um, so that the doula, all the work that Penny Simpkin has done over all the years was finally accepted by ACOG back in 2014. And that doula can make a difference in the amount of interventions, the cesarean rate, the comfort of the mother and so forth. So doulas are really one super helpful part of the birthing community and people should really look into it if at all possible. Absolutely. So yeah. tell me if you were going to describe what is the most important aspects of having a doula and does it shift at all depending on the setting that someone is in? Uh, I think that um, it's important to find uh, when you work with a doula, that you're definitely on the same page. It's doula work is not a job. It's it, you are chemically connected to that family. You care about that family, and you want to help them achieve the most um, as close to their birth preferences as possible, and. The doula really plays a role with positioning. Um, I remember going to um, some of the parents' homes when they were, we got to go to the hospital. We got to go to the hospital now. I'm ready. And all they needed was just to, somebody just to help them slow down your breathing. Let's rethink this. How close together are your surges? And and um, before you know it, they'd calm back down again. And we would stay home for a while longer rather than racing off to the hospital. Uh, a doula never makes that decision when you go to the hospital. But oftentimes it would just take slowing down the breathing, focusing and helping them calm back down again. And they realized, no, no, they weren't ready to, it wasn't time to have to go to the hospital. Uh, and it, it, for those that um, are having the home birth, they don't even have to worry about getting in the car and going anywhere. Uh, the midwives come to them. Um, for those that have a concern about not wanting interventions, your middle of the road is a birth center but you still have to get in the car to go to the birth center. And uh, the best of both worlds with a mother, a healthy mother and a healthy baby, to be able to have a birth there in your home is, is a pretty special occasion for you and your baby and your partner. Um, it's something that we need to see more of in the United States, because it's only a tiny, tiny percentage of people that actually um, feel comfortable doing that. So what I'd really love to see for those that are having their birth in a hospital, it really depends on what your values are. You're going to, some people are going to feel safer in a hospital environment. Mm -hmm. And if you feel safer, then that's the right thing for you. Mm -hmm. um, and over the years, there have been some wonderful obstetricians that have been listening, listening to the parents and saying, how do you want your birth taken care of? And let's get as close as we can 
to what you would like to achieve. So we see, especially with hypnobirthing, because your eyes are closed, you, you actually are not seeing yourself in this technical environment. We have our soft music on. We are listening to low voices. Um, the lights are low. We're trying to bring this baby into the world in an atmosphere, whether they're in the hospital or they're at home. So that's one of the things that hypnobirthing can do and is appreciated. Um, when you're working with the doula case and when you're working with the staff, they really enjoy the hypnobirthing parents mm -hmm. because they, they have a different, totally different attitude. They, they like to be inside. They want to be inside. And oftentimes the outcomes uh, are better. Mm -hmm. um, so that's, that's what I have found in the doula work is to help those parents um, do just exactly what a doula is supposed to do mm -hmm. and help support them to get the information that they need to be able to make decisions. And when the medical staff ask these parents how they would like their birth done, uh, they're listening to them. They're trying to make it possible to be able to birth this baby in, in without as many interventions as possible if that's what the parents want. So your doula, your doula really is key for that environment. Key in the way, am I hearing in the way of advocacy, in the way of being there to um, advocate for the, for the birthing family, um, besides actually attending to the physical? or Tell us a little bit more about attending to them. You want to give them the emotional support that they need by helping them focus on their breathing. You work with the partner. You teach the partner how to keep the woman more comfortable. We're not taking the job away from the partner as doulas. We are helping them keep their partner more calm. Do your breathing, work on your breathing, focus, work through your surges. And as far as advocacy is concerned, we have found that if the parents are included in all decision making, they didn't want any interventions and when the staff takes the time to explain why they need to make a change in their birth preferences, why, and then help the parents be part of that decision-making, then oftentimes, oftentimes the end result is not trauma for the mother and the father. If they understand why we have to shift to more interventions, if there's a good reason and they're part of that decision-making, then the outcomes are going to be much better. Are doulas yeah. used around the world? Uh, actually, they are. Um, when, I, um, when I took my training um, with prenatal bonding, uh, which is a very specialized program uh, uh, from a German psychiatrist. I was trained under a German psychiatrist to help moms and babies and partners bond with their baby during the pregnancy. I was truly amazed that a doula was able to do this work, um, thinking about the, the whole concept of it's a psychiatrist that is training me to help parents communicate with their baby in the womb during the pregnancy. This is something I really had never heard of before. And I did not feel qualified to do. 
But when I met this German psychiatrist who was looking for people to start doing this prenatal bonding program uh, in the United States, he was the only English speaking instructor for this program that was coming out of Hungary. Uh, I, when I went to my interview, it was interesting. There were about 20 people in the room and um, I, <laughs> when it, this psychiatrist was presenting case studies of people that had taken the prenatal bonding program and what sort of interventions they had at their birth and so forth. Um, I, I kept typically me interrupting him and asking him why they did certain procedures that, you know, questioning what was done to these parents in a medical sense. Mm -hmm. And um, so when I finished the interview, it was a day long program with these uh, 20 different people that were interested in the field. I didn't feel qualified because I'm a childbirth educator and I'm a doula and here's a psychiatrist that has this program that trains people to teach moms and dads how to fall in love with their babies during the pregnancy. And the outcomes are supposed to be tremendously better. So I decided, well, between the expense and not feeling qualified, I wasn't going to take the training. And the psychiatrist called me from Germany and he said, oh, no, 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 no. We do want you for this training because you understand what's happening in the hospitals these days. You know about many of the interventions that are going on. And this program is not psychotherapy. It is facilitating parents to fall in love with their babies during during the pregnancy. Now, this was such new information for me. Um, hypnobirthing does engage with bonding with the parents and talking to the baby. So that opened one door for me because I'd never learned that before. And then I read The Secret Life of the Unborn Child uh, by Dr. Verney, who started the Association of Pre and Perinatal Psychology. And that opened another door for me. And that's how I ended up getting involved with Dr. Schwab. Wow, what a whole new world opened up. When you can fall in love with your baby during the pregnancy period, the sooner the better, nothing matters. Nothing else matters than you caring for this baby. The mother becomes the mother of the baby and no longer the daughter of the mother. They have their, they learn and accept that your job is to respond to babies. That's our job. That's our job is to take care of our little ones. When they cry, you pick them up and you soothe them. When you start doing this work in the womb, we, I've had mothers that were in a depressed state when we first started working with them. They were on, there have been patients that have been on medications for depression. I have not had those cases, but Dr. Schwab had. And before you know it, that mother falls in love with that baby and no longer needs to take their medicine um, that they were taking. Because during this facilitation, we address a lot of issues about how the mother was mothered, how the father was mothered, what their, their own births were like, and addressing those experiences, because we now know that we now know that what that mother experienced or that father experienced in the womb has a profound, a profound interpretation and direct impact on how that mother birthed and what the early childhood and bonding was like. And that's one of the most important things in the history that we do with these parents 
we get into that history so that now they that opens the door for the two of them to talk about what they actually experienced and what they experienced in their own parenting so they can think about how they want to parent their children. It uncovers so much material with that history. And together through the pregnancy, they bond with this baby. The outcomes are completely different. The, um, the birthing tends to go a bit smoother. They, um, they usually choose uh, having less medication um, than they, they might have because they, they're not in as much fear they believe that baby and mother are working as a team. And so they understand that that, that baby is actually doing part of the work during the birth, which again, after teaching for years, I did not have that. I've been teaching childbirth for years. That the baby is actually part of the team. The baby is not a passenger. <laughs> And most of our parents don't read. They think, you know, that uterus is doing all the work and everything. Well, that little baby in there is, is working a little bit harder trying to find his way out because he's so excited about meeting his parents that they want to come into the world. So the births tend to be smoother. Um, breastfeeding tends to, to go smoother. And we only have about a 2% postpartum depression rate in the 8,000 cases that we have facilitated since the 1990s. So this is a totally new concept for me. <laughs> <laughs> I, I got involved in it in 2011. It's been 10 years now. And the importance of this work is just um, it's more profound than than understanding just teaching parents to get the baby out. It's much deeper than that. Being a parent, when you parent in the womb, then you don't have to read the parenting books ahead of time. You just do what is right for your baby. Your baby knows you the moment they're born. There, oh, there you are, mom. Oh, there you are, dad. They know you when they're born. And to see how alert they are after that birth, they're, they are quite far uh, ahead with self-esteem. Um, they're very trusting of their parents. Uh, they sleep better. Um, this is this statistics are all there on Gerhardt's reports, the research that they have done, that um, everything about parenting is is improved. And when I look at what we've gone through with COVID, COVID did not interfere with any of these families bonding with that baby in the womb. The love that they feel for the little ones, the way they respond to their little ones, whether COVID or no COVID. They know, there's a knowingness when they realize you really can communicate with the baby in the womb. They're sentient, they're listening, they're learning, their whole experience, everything that's happening around that pregnant woman, not just food, not just toxic chemicals, it's the oxytocin instead of the stress hormones that these parents are able to express to this baby growing in the womb. And this, this just statistically, no question, that the babies are coming out healthier mentally, physically, and the pregnancy goes smoother using this prenatal bonding VA program. To yeah. clarify then, you, you do two different kinds of, at least two. So I just want to pull this together for us. So you do hypnobirthing. Yep. And then you also do this. And tell me how this pursuit is different. What does that look like to have you in this capacity rather than in the capacity of hypnobirthing? Tell me those differences. 
um, the concept of prenatal bonding uh, is childbirth educators. We're not taught how important the gestational period is. Nursing doesn't teach it. Psychology doesn't teach it. Psychiatry doesn't teach it. <laughs> this is a field that is opening up pre and perinatal psychology is opening up because there's tons of research that prove what happens to a pregnant woman carrying a baby, what the environment is around that pregnant woman makes a difference in the brain architecture, the baby's nervous system, the baby's long-term health happens during the gestational period from before conception, welcoming a baby to the womb, feeling safe, having the hormones that are flowing through their body through the pregnancy are loving, welcoming, calming. So it just, it makes common sense that if the baby has a calming, loving experience with the flow of oxytocin before they're coming into the world, then following the world, the birth, that oxytocin is still going to be flowing. So the parents know how to love this baby, this child. So it's, it sounds like it sounds like this is a bigger relationship that you get to have with people. So how do what is the structure of your, your prenatal bonding relationship? What what does that involve? It actually involves a a pretty intensive history. The history takes two to four hours for the parents to understand where they came from. And surprisingly uh, enough, uh, we find out that, that where they came from even carries where their parents came from and their grandparents came from. They're is research that's proving there is such a thing as intergenerational stress mm -hmm. that is being carried through the genes that people are, are carrying within their body and it's not their stress. Mm -hmm. And when we, when we do the history and we get into these various different generations and what what has happened to the generations in the past, it uncovers that some of these families may be carrying some of their ancestors, um, intergenerational. And, and so the stress that they're feeling isn't their own stress. And once that can be recognized, then the parents get rid of it. They don't carry it anymore. Uh, Rachel Yehuda um, is a uh, professor at, I think, Columbia. Uh, she's doing research on the Holocaust. And they're finding that the grandchildren of the Holocaust victims and family members that survived, they're carrying their stress from way back during the Holocaust. Mm. And with African-American families, they're carrying their stress from generations of persecution. Spanish, the same way. They're carrying these intergenerational stressors that hopefully, now that we're recognizing them, our families don't have to hold on to these stressors and can, can start a whole new evolution of healthier families and healthier babies. Domestic violence passes from one generation to another generation and the parents don't think they're ever going to perform domestic violence on their children. But if they received it, that's what they know. Once it's addressed, 
and they realize where it was coming from, they want to stop that. Break the cycle. So it's a cycle. Yeah. That is and when do you begin to work with families with this? I've had um I've had some families that as soon as they peed on the stick, they wanted to come to the class. Um, it, it, they're all done personally, privately, one at a time. It's not a group class. Um, it, this is definitely on a very personal basis. But they'd heard about the benefits of doing the prenatal bonding. So they want to get started right away. Uh, usually we want to start them around 15, 15 weeks, uh, 15 to uh, 26 weeks, somewhere in that window. Um, and we just we discuss whether this baby was wanted or, you know, what happened in the circumstances when you found out you were pregnant and so forth, so that you're understanding your feelings inside yourself and your partner's feelings inside themselves. And then there's lots of repair that can be done talking to the baby and letting the baby know why it was tough in the beginning. Maybe they didn't have the money. Maybe they were worried. May, you know, there's, there's lots of stressors when a woman finds out that she's pregnant, unless they planned for it and are, are hope, you know, wanting this baby. And, and really Roxanne, only 55% of our families actually plan for a baby. 45% it just, it's either mistimed, they weren't planning on it, and about about 18%, according to Guttmacher, one of the big researchers, uh, about 18% of these babies aren't even wanted in the womb. And not being wanted is one of the biggest woundings that can happen to a baby that's coming into the world. Because, because of all this research, because of the knowledge, we know that these babies know whether they're wanted or not wanted, what circumstances they were conceived in. And when a parent can let that baby know they really want them, mm -hmm. and they start allowing that oxytocin to flow, repair can be done, and the baby can start to feel safe put their energy into growth instead of having to protect themselves. Am I coming into a world that doesn't want me? Am I coming into a world where I'm not wanted? Or I, am I coming into a world that my parents want me and love me? If you were that baby, what would you rather be seeping in? So we want to give our babies the best start, even if it's partway through the pregnancy, even if it's two weeks before they deliver. I have had people call me at the last minute. There aren't too many that call me that late. We'll put in the time, but the most important thing is the history. You got to put in those two to four hours to get that history. Then they realize themselves what made them, and they can start to grow and become that mother that they may not have had but they want to be. It just opened a whole new door. Yeah. If I had not come to Seattle, if I had not been involved with hypnobirthing, I had not gotten involved in APA, I never would have had this wonderful experience and this education, knowing how important the gestational period is. Because the prenatal bonding program goes through the whole pregnancy, and it's on a very personal basis, I got together with you, another friend, Lubitha Home. We put together a program with just a taste of this education, an eight-hour called Empowering Pregnancy. It gives parents a chance to have a taste of what the concept is, the importance of the gestational period, gives them tools to love their baby, but it's only an eight-hour course, so they can get everything in a nutshell. So oftentimes they want to learn more about it. That's an option for people who don't want to delve into the deep history, but at least want to acknowledge 
that the gestational period is important. And what happened to them as children impacts their birth, impacts their pregnancy, impacts their relationship. A healthy parental relationship is going to produce a healthy baby. Fierce presence for advocating for the recognition of the importance of the prenatal time. And I've watched you and seen you do it politically with all of the different government officials advocating for having more and more possibilities and access to this education for everyone. And you've been able to do it through being part of other organizations in addition to APA. What has really brought you the greatest joy in this huge journey of advocacy? Um, It's actually um, anytime I can get someone to listen to the importance of of that gestational period, um, because it's been ignored by infant mental health, psychology, um, uh, medical field. We really need to pay attention to what's happening to our moms and babies. Teaching childbirth was getting the baby out of the mother. Prenatal bonding is building a family, building a healthy family, because we learn what we learned as children. We become, and for years, for years, people, scientists often said, well, you cannot remember your um, pregnancy. You can't remember being in the womb. Um, you, You don't remember anything till you're about three years old. Now we know that period is more important than anything that happens after three years old. You hold it within your body. You hold that energy, whatever you experienced in that body from before conception. I say that because we're welcoming the baby to the womb, planning to have the baby. So I'm in healthy shape. My partner's in healthy shape. We would love to have this baby come into it. That's the welcoming end of thing, conscious conception. And then loving this baby in soaking in the oxytocin while they're pregnant, then the baby builds emotional regulation. And it continues for the next nine months and even longer. Stephen Bizerka from the University of Washington did a TED Talk on this. And he has often said that we need the government to put more money up front to know that our pregnant women are safe they have healthy food, they're in a, a good environment, a positive environment, then we are going to save billions of dollars by putting the money up front, by giving our families a good start. And we're upside down. We spend more money at the end of life than we do at the beginning of life because these babies grow up. And it's what they've been exposed to those first three years. It's it's in their bodies. It's in their psyche. And the interesting uh, research they found out with PTSD victims is that when they're healing from PTSD, no matter what the trauma is, if they had that healthy start from preconception to those three years, they heal much faster from the PTSD than somebody that did not have a good childhood or a good start in life. And if anybody has any questions on the early childhood, all they have to look up is Vince Filetti and the ACE study, Adverse Childhood Experiences. And where do adverse childhood experiences come from? They come from parents that didn't know. They didn't know they are doing what they were taught. And they didn't know that they were hurting or causing problems for their children. They did not know the long-term effects of it. 
But now we know not only does it start in early childhood, it starts during those first nine months. That environment when that baby is forming in the womb. And there's tons of research to back that, that information. I remember being exposed to a lot of that research, but some of the most compelling things are some of the stories you hear. Do you have a story that has stuck with you illustrating that power of the, the in utero life to remain with that little person? Do you have any that come to your mind? There's one specific one that comes to mind. That I, when I heard that, I was like, are you kidding me? That is amazing. Well, there are some fun stories. There's some sad stories. Um, Dr. David Chamberlain has a book full of stories um, in uh, Windows to the Womb. Windows to the Womb. He talks all about the embryology in the first section of the book. And then the second half of the book, he, he was a psychologist and he worked with uh, people with emotional problems. And in the second part of that book, he can, he has stories of people that have been traumatized basically for many years. They, they were 50, 60 years old and didn't understand why they were triggered by certain circumstances. And in a calm state of relaxation, when, when he would regress them back to what their early childhood was, they ended up going farther back and stories within the womb that they could remember in the womb. Now, this was completely new information for him back in the 1970s and 80s. And then Thomas Burney, who's a psychiatrist, he was having the same experience with, with his patients that were there as adults with emotional problems. And they were going back, they were remembering and when they were in a relaxed state, because they both studied hypnosis, and the, they wouldn't even have to lead them back to the womb. They went back to the womb. And the two of them got together, and they were saying, how can this be? We've never heard of anything like this happening. And so the two of them decided to do a research project. And whatever the particular individual remembered they were asked to go back to their parents and ask them what happened mm. what happened to me mom when you were pregnant um what happened during my birth well there were cases where they had the mother had lost somebody super super important to them like their the father or her father, somebody that really meant a tremendous amount to them. So during that time, she was really grieving and she wasn't thinking about the baby. And the reason that these adults were seeing the psychologists were they were having depressive states. They were suffering from depression. Mm -hmm. And it was stemming back from the mother not making time for them mm -hmm. when they were growing in the womb. And once they were able to talk about it, the patients actually started to get better. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Because they had addressed, they had addressed the reason for the depression because they grew up in a grieving womb. Mm. There were cases where there were attempted abortions that didn't work. And the, these particular adults would ask the parents, did, did, did you try to do that? And they would deny it. These are in the book. They would deny it. And finally, finally say, how could you know? Mm. I never told your father. Mm. How could you know? Well, I was the baby in the womb. Yeah, I was the person experiencing it. Well, on a lighter note, yes, yes, <laughs> one, one of my favorite, one of my favorite stories that I heard that I absolutely loved. Um, there was a, 
uh, a big brother. And he was, you know, at still a young age, I think less than five. And this is a true story. And he had a baby sister. And he would go to his baby sister every time she was crying and he would say, hello, baby. And his parents thought that was just really sweet, you know? It was just really sweet that he did it. And then one day they happened to be watching a video from the birth of their son, who was born by cesarean. And in this video, the doctor brings the baby up and says, hello, baby. I have loved that story. I mean, I've seen many, many things that document to me of baby's knowingness. But I've loved that story and how that's integrated into this specific human being, that the way you bring the most calm to somebody is the way that somebody has brought that to you. So I love that story and I love this information you're giving us. You know I do. Well, just go to Penny Simkin um, encourages the children to sing to their baby in the womb. Yeah. And uh, there was a, a case where the baby was actually not doing well after it was born. And the little girl started singing to the baby and the heart rate regulated, the breathing regulated, the baby became stable after the elder, after the other child started singing that song because they recognized it. And the child didn't have any more problems, but it was just getting started in life. The minute they sang that song, the child started to perk up. Now, you remember the story about the twins. Don't you remember that beautiful photograph with the twins? We used to separate twins and put them in separate bassinets. And the, 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 uh, the twin that was having a problem was next to the brother. And so some smart nurse thought, I'm going to put the brother with his sister. And darned if that brother didn't lie down, it wasn't there in that bassinet next to the sister, and he wrapped his arm around his sister, and all body functions started to regulate. Mm -hmm. That's a very famous one, because mm -hmm. they were buddies yeah. in the womb, and, and, and twins do play with each other. They poke each other in, mm -hmm. in the womb. Another wonderful story, um, and children tell these stories uh, between the ages usually of two and a half and five years old. Uh, some of them talk about uh, when they were born, that person with that mask on their face. I saw this person with a mask on their face, and they were manhandling. They held me upside down, and I didn't like that at all. Well, what they were doing was they were reliving their birth, their birth experience. And, you know, it's hard for a parent to imagine that a child could remember those first things coming into the world and what they felt and what they saw, even with their bad eyesight, to be able to know that person had a mask on their face and they hurt them because of the way they were holding them. I didn't like that at all. So stories, these are amazing stories that we never thought babies were aware. Well, it's and about I time we learned. People have even talked about the vocabulary of babies when it is um, even the way that they cry. Linguistic specialists have, have said that there's different things that are common across the world in the way that babies are are vocalizing that really speak something. That's Dunstan. That's Priscilla Dunstan's yes, work. Yes, it is Priscilla oh, yes. Dunstan. Yes, um, and, and her work, it only works for the babies for the first three months, but it's not the cry, it's the pre-cry. It's the sound that they make before they cry. And, and um, as, as anybody will learn during childbirth class and breastfeeding class, crying is a late stage. The baby needs attention. You okay. know, when the baby's wrestling at the, around or they're sticking their tongue out or they're, you know, they're ready to suck on anything that comes into sight, um, that, those are signs of hunger. 
Right. Um, and with Priscilla, what she noticed, uh, it's really a fascinating story uh, because at the age of five, she had an auditory memory. And um, during, she could sing a song on tune, know all the words, and at a very young age. And she became an opera singer. When she had her baby, she noticed that her baby made certain sounds that indicated certain things that the baby was feeling. You can, you can get a CD with her, but you can also see her on YouTube, you know, just to get a taste of her work. What she found was the baby makes a certain sound with his mouth, whether he's hungry, whether he's cold, whether he is gassy um, or overtired, or he needs, he needs a burp. And these are specific sounds that the parents can learn about in their newborn class to help prepare them for what the baby needs. It's the pre-cry zone. So it means you're paying attention to the sound that the baby is making. But when she discovered that with her child, when she take her child out in the baby carriage, she noticed that there were other babies that made the same sounds. <laughs> and when she traveled to Europe, all babies make these initial sounds. So it's a wonderful parenting tool to help these parents understand what the baby's needs are in a very simple and easy way of, of learning. Um, so Priscilla has opened a whole new door, you know, on baby communication. Um, and that's been super successful. So really, Roxanne, over the past 50, 70 years, what was learned or known centuries ago, cultures understood how important pregnancy was. The woman needs to be cared for. The woman needs to stay away from fear, sadness. They need to be fed well. They need to be cared for because they always sensed that it made a difference in the formation of the baby. They didn't have the research. They just knew it. And over the centuries, it's been lost because we're all working living in a rat race, go, 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 go all the time. Now, because of emotional problems that people are having now and be able to stem it back to that prenatal period that centuries ago they knew babies were affected through preconception and the gestational period. But we're all working and thinking about other things Womanhood is not respected. Pregnancy is not respected. Welcoming a baby to a womb should be honored and appreciated. They experienced through that gestational period, through their birth, and through their early childhood. All of our babies are growing up and will become adults. We've all been in that womb. That's how we got here. And we've all had that experience. And if we have challenges in life, they can be recognized, helped, healed, and that person can start to be the individual they started to be. Thank you for sharing that. We are coming to the last few minutes, and I want to make sure that you have an opportunity to say anything else that we haven't been able to touch on or cover. Well, what I'd really like them to open their minds to is um, looking at APA, the Association of Pre- and Perinatal Psychology and Health, uh, also called www.birthpsychology, birthpsychology.com, has, has the most incredible programs for parents, for professionals, for doulas, for childbirth educators, every Monday they have a free lecture on some aspect of pre and perinatal psychology. Around the world, people that belong to APA that are studying the field of pre and perinatal psychology are trying very hard to improve the health of mothers, fathers partners, babies, to help them get the right start to life. 
so that society in the long run will become more compassionate, more loving, and more caring about one another. We're all in this together. There's so much trauma going on in the world. We need peace. We need love. And it starts way back when that baby is growing in the womb. And that's that's the most important thing that I hope people will take out of this is that every baby that's coming into the world, it's important that they know they're loved and cared for after they're born because they're going to grow up to be adults. And we want a more healthy, compassionate society. Uh, they can get me through hypnobirthing. Uh, the Hypnobirthing Institute would list me. If you look under hypnobirthing, I come up as an instructor there. Prenatal Bonding BA takes you to my Soul of Birthing website. And then for the eight-hour course at empoweringpregnancy.com. And I'll end with this statement. No matter how hard you started in this world, everything is healable to be the parent that you want to be. And you heard it right here with Barb Decker on Midwife After Hours. Thank you for having me. You're so welcome.